We're going to read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not long after I became a Christian, I decided I was going to read the Bible through from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. It wasn't quite as difficult as it seemed because it was a time when um, publishers were very into producing magazines that in 12 sections or 20 sections or whatever explained everything to you about a particular subject. And somebody brought out one that was going to take you through the Bible. And uh, every week it came out with... Um, the Bible passages, starting at Genesis, and um, wonderful photographs of archaeological sites and all this kind of thing, and uh, notes on the text. So over a period, I think it must have been about two years, I worked my way through from Genesis to Revelation. And people said to me, oh, you're mad. You won't get past Leviticus. Well, I don't know what it says about me, but I think Leviticus is a fascinating book. Numbers is a bit trickier because there's an awful lot of lists in Numbers. The book that nearly derailed me was Judges. You couldn't make a film of Judges. You know, it would really be ex-certificate stuff. Um, The awful things that happen when God's people reject God. The prophets, I thought, oh, I've never read this stuff before. Never heard people preach on great chunks of it. Um, you know, maybe there's a hint there that we ought to be looking at Isaiah or somebody in there sometime this year. But uh, also I thought, oh, I know why people don't preach on it. It's jolly difficult. Ezekiel, particularly, I think, in my opinion, is probably the most difficult book in the Bible, even worse than Revelation. Hard to understand. But all the way through, bits and pieces kept coming out. Yeah, this is... This is something new. This is something I'm learning. The Gospels, of course, I've been going to Sunday school since I was three, so I'd heard the Gospel stories, but again, there was new stuff there. And then I got to Ephesians, and I was just blown away by Ephesians. It's the first time I'd ever read it seriously. I was, wow, this is just so amazing about the grace and the love of God. And the passage that summed it all up for me was that prayer that Paul prays. There's a fantastic prayer in chapter 1, but this prayer in chapter 3 just stuck with me. And I keep going back to it, I read it, I preach on it, I pray it. 
And here's, if you're looking for a different way of doing your devotions, here's a suggestion. Make the prayers of the New Testament your prayers. Take a prayer like this one in Ephesians, or one of many others, and insert into it your own name. God, I pray that I may grasp the love of Christ. Put in the, the name of people that you know. Put in the name of the church. And uh, one of the advantages of it is the stuff that Paul prays for is stuff that we very often don't pray for. It's really great to pray for practical things for ourselves and for one another. But how often do we pray for spiritual blessing and spiritual growth? So a suggestion if you're looking for a different way of praying in the new year. There's masses packed into this prayer. Paul really sort of runs out of language in saying it. We're not going to try and cover all of it. But we're going to pick up a word that comes three times. It's the word power. And Paul prays that the church at Ephesus will have power to live closer to Jesus, power to grasp Jesus' love, and power to serve Jesus better. And we'll use that as our framework for looking at it. Power to live closer to Jesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In a sense, it seems an odd prayer to pray. He's praying for Christians. Surely Christ already lives in their hearts by faith through the spirit. That's practically a definition of a Christian. The commentators tell us that as often the answer is in the Greek. The Greeks never had one word where two or three would do. And they have a word for living, which just means residing. It's got no sort of emotional overtones, no anything. It's just the place you are. But they've got another word that means to be completely at home. And that's the word that Paul uses. He's praying, I pray that God will strengthen you through power that Jesus might be totally at home in your hearts and your lives. I remember so long ago that I can't remember who the preacher was that I heard using it, but a preacher who used um, an illustration and said, there were days, he said, when every respectable home had a front parlor. And that front parlor had nice furniture in it, often had a piano, even if nobody actually played. It was kept clean and tidy, and it was virtually never used. You certainly didn't let the children play in there. But if the minister came to visit or somebody important, that was the room you showed them into, the front parlor. And this preacher said, and it's stuck with me ever since, that's what we do to Jesus so often. We say, Jesus, come into my life, into the front parlor, into the nice bits. I want you to be at home. Yeah, when I'm worshipping on a Sunday, when I'm at the prayer meeting, when I'm doing something good and helpful. But don't look at the mess. Don't look at the clutter. Especially don't look at those bits that I really hope nobody else knows about my life. Jesus knows it all. But there's a difference between him knowing and us inviting him and saying, Lord, I'll hand those things over to you. Come into every part of my life. Be totally at home in the messy bits, the bad bits, the difficult bits as well. 
as in the good bits. As a church, we've been through difficult times. Let's ensure for the new year that we invite Jesus to be the center of everything that we do. I love the old hymn by George Herbert, which says, A servant with his claws makes drudgery divine, who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. There's no part of our lives, of church life, that we can't involve Jesus in, that we can't do for him, whether it's sweeping the floors whether it's making the coffee, whether it's cooking, whether it's running a Sunday school class or a youth group, whether it's running a group for older people, whether it's playing an instrument, whether it's singing, whether it's chatting to somebody, whatever it is, let's have Jesus at the center of everything that we do. That we can truly say, Lord Jesus, be totally and absolutely at home in Mutley Baptist Church. That should be I suggest our resolution for this year that Jesus should be totally at home in our lives, individually and as a church. But then Paul also prays for the Ephesians will have power to grasp Jesus' love. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. But how do we grasp the ungraspable? How do we know the unknowable? I want to suggest three ways. First of all, we need to remind ourselves frequently of all that Jesus has done and is doing for us. We do it once a month when we share in communion. But we need to do it in our daily lives, in our devotions, in our prayers, in our thinking. To look back on our lives and see the hand of God at work. I've got an advantage that most of you probably don't have in that I often get invited to go and speak about the work of the Christian Resources Project. And people not only want to know what we're doing now, but what, how did it all come about and what has happened? And each time I do that, I reflect on what God has done. And I think, yeah, that happened at that point because God intervened. That happened at that point because God provided. That happened at that point because I'm just overwhelmed by what God has done. Let's make time in our devotions to thank God and recognize what he's done in our lives. And to use a, another old hymn, count our blessings. Why is it? What is it about human nature? So easy to be miserable in, oh, if you know the troubles I've got, oh, the things I've got to do this coming, you wouldn't be, the people I've got to work with, oh, it's terrible. We, we can go on like that for hours. And the hymn's a bit of a cliche, but it's good. Count your blessings. Look at the good things in our lives and thank God for them because they're examples of his love. And then secondly, we can grasp the ungraspable and know the unknowable by focusing on Jesus. It's good to spend time looking at the Gospels, looking at Jesus, looking at how different he is. We need to sometimes sort of forget what we already know. 
Because we hear these stories so often and we think it's all perfectly normal. Jesus was quite a shocking, radical person in his love. A good example is that woman at the well. You remember that story? She stood there. Now, Jesus speaks to her. And there were two very good reasons why he should not speak to her. One, he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Think about black and white in apartheid South Africa. Think about um, unionists and republicans in Ireland. Think about any kind of division that you like in the Middle East today. It just simply wasn't done. And then secondly, he was a man and she was a woman. And men did not speak to women in public. It was not done. It was shocking. He should have totally ignored her, walked away from the well if she insisted on coming up to it. No. He makes himself vulnerable and he says, will you give me a drink of water? And then he answers the questions that that provokes and has such an impact on her life that she goes off to tell everybody else in the village and the whole village comes out to meet Jesus. Jesus' relationships with women was one of the very radical things. Like I've said, men and women didn't mix in public. It wasn't done. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were pretty convinced that God was male and God was uh, favoured males above everybody else. Women were insignificant. And yet, Jesus had women disciples. You can read about them in Luke's Gospel as well as his male disciples. He meets, and there are lots of stories about him meeting with women. Again, one of the significant ones, he's invited to a, the home of a Pharisee for a meal, and the Pharisees invited all the good and the great men of the village to come for this meal, and we'll find out what this Jesus guy is really like. And the village prostitute comes in and washes his feet. And they're all saying, he ought to chuck her out. If he was religious, if he was anything to do with God, he'd turf her out into the street and no time at all. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I can't grasp it. It's radical, the love of Jesus. He loves the ignored and the rejected. Beggars. They were there on the streets. We still have it today. You can walk through the city center. What do we do? It's so difficult, you don't know. But what people basically did was ignored them. When Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming and he's blind and he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do the crowds say? Shut up! Don't cause a disturbance. He ain't going to be interested in you, mate. And they're the ones that Jesus heals and responds to. There's no limit in the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of Jesus' love. He loves the people that everybody else disliked and hated. The last person you want in your disciples is a tax collector, and yet he calls Matthew. He meets and eats with, and eating was a sign of social acceptance. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, his life is transformed. Nobody else would have anything to do with them. Tax collectors were crooks and traitors. His love is radical. And he loved the wealthy and the respectable. He responds to the call from Jairus for his daughter, or the centurion for his servant. Did he love the Pharisees? Said some very strong words to them. Um, 
But I believe those words were spoken out of love. You see, the Pharisees had convinced themselves that God owed them. They had ticked all the boxes, and therefore they had earned a place in heaven, and God jolly well better give it to them. And because of that, they were better than anybody else. All this riffraff, the common people, they weren't going to be blessed by God, but we are. And it's such a serious error that Jesus has to speak strongly and stridently in love so that they could be challenged and changed. And some of them we know did respond and throw themselves on the mercy of God instead of claiming that God owed them. He loved the poor and the rich. He loved the despised and the influential. He loved Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. He loved females and males. He loved enemies and friends. Length, breadth, height, depth. No boundaries. It's all summed up by his words on the cross. To a dying thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. To those who are crucifying, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then thirdly, we can grasp the ungraspable and know the unknowable by putting it into practice, by seeking to model ourselves on Jesus and love others as he loves us. When you really try and love people, you understand something of what God is going through. You know, there's, there's some nice people and it's easy to love them. But there are others. Do you know, I did such and such. Didn't get a word of gratitude, you know. Didn't get any. I did this for them and they couldn't care less. And, oh, I tried to help and they just said, oh, clear off, we don't want... And you think, hey, that's God with me. God doing things for me and me not being grateful. God doing things in my life and me saying, oh, back off, hang on, I'm not ready for that, I don't. As we model and live out the love of Christ, so we learn more about how vast that love is. May our resolution be to immerse ourselves in Jesus' love, to be forever thankful and to reflect that love to others. And then Paul prays for power to serve Jesus better. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now we know that God can do everything. He can do more than we ask or imagine. It's practically a definition of God that he is all-powerful. The mind-boggling thing is that Paul says, through his power at work within us that God chooses to work through his people. What are your hopes and dreams for 2020? Is there someone you love that you want to come to faith? God can do more than we ask or imagine through his power at work within us. Other people you need, you know, who are in particular need, who need wisdom, or need some practical resource provided. Relationships that need to be changed, hurts that need to be healed. God can do more than we ask or imagine through His power that is at work within us. 
Do you need in your own life guidance, practical help? Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? How am I going to cope with this situation? God can do more than we can ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us. What are our hopes and dreams as a church for continued healing of past wounds? God can do more than we ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us. For the rebuilding of relationships. Oh, that's never going to happen. Oh, no. God can do more than we can ask or imagine through his power at work within us. For new volunteers to get involved in all our different activities that God has called us to do, the challenges he's given us. God can do more than we ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us. For our finances, God can do more than we can ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us. For a new minister, Jeremy was praying, God's person, in God's time, to lead us in God's way. God can do more than we can ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us. For a continuing and increasing impact on our community and our mission here and overseas. For many to come to faith and for all of us to grow in discipleship. Too big an ambition? God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. May our resolution be that we are fully committed to serving God, allowing his power to do more than we can ask or imagine. And may all the glory go to him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will make Jesus the center of our lives individually and corporately, that he might be totally at home amongst us. Father, will you help us to be more and more amazed every day at how much you love us. And Father, will you work your power in and through our lives that we might see more than we can ask or imagine and that you might be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen.